Hey there, welcome to Witness Performance Interviews. I'm Ben Keane, and today we have the wonderful opportunity to speak to two practitioners who are key in the development and presentation of the 2020 Asia Topa Triennial. Firstly, we have the creative director of Asia Topa, Stephen Armstrong. Stephen has previously worked as executive producer at the Malthouse Theatre, Sydney Theatre Company, Chambermaid Opera, just to list a few of his bio credits, which I think there are far too many. Uh, Secondly, we have the co-creator slash creative director of Sandpit, an experienced design studio, Dan Kerner. Dan is a creative mind who has a keen interest in the corporation of the digital into the live in a really meaningful and additive way. His clients at Sandpit include... Uh, Google, Museums Victoria, Acme, Penguin Books, Art Science Museum Singapore, Melbourne Zoo, Australian Dance Theatre and the State Library of New South Wales. Now, we have Dan in today as Sandpit was really central to the pivot that had to be made about a week or so into the festival. As we're all very aware at this point, 2020 and now 2021 is a strained time for live performance. If you add into that mix many international collaborations that have been in the works for many months or even years, you can start to get a picture of the magnitude of what had to happen to ensure that the festival could continue in a relatively uncompromised fashion. Before we get to questions, I think it's worth stating how big a festival Asiatopa is. With uh, 72 Australian presentation partners, 50 international cultural partners and featuring 960 artists in total. There were 350 events presented. It's really worth stating just from the top, the size of this thing. It's also worth stating with anything this big that there's so many creative minds working at pulling this together. So at the top, I want to give Stephen an opportunity to jump in and talk through some of the other bodies involved in the creation of this festival. Sure, thanks, Ben. Uh, Asia Topa was an initiative of the Sydney Maya Fund and Arts Centre Melbourne in the first instance, uh, and the Sydney Maya Fund have continued to support it very profoundly, both um, through financial support but also uh, uh, in, a, um, uh, in a moral way and in a, um, a mentoring way. Um, so they've been very, very important. Uh, Kate Bentovum is the associate director, uh, and um, Simeon Moran was the um, executive producer, and Tam Yin, uh, and Pam uh, Soriano were also really instrumental at the Art Centre Melbourne, um, uh, you know, headquarter, if you like. But the 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 whole idea of the festival really is about responding to what it is that artists are doing and how they're connecting uh, with one another. And that's both artists in Asia, in a pan-Asian sense, connecting with one another, uh, and it's also artists from Australia connecting with their colleagues in the region. Uh, so one of the reasons that it that it's uh, big um, really is because that's the te- the temperament and the climate that we're in, mm. which is what, which is obviously why it's really important that it happens because it brings these opportunities together. Mm. And of course, when you uh, when you think in a festival way, what you're really doing is aggregating opportunity and aggregating uh, um, an audience's focus, mm. um, but through a really diverse form of practice uh, and um, styles of work so that we, even though we're a performing arts festival, we actually engage with um, the cinematic arts, with mm. the literary arts, uh, with the plastic arts. So it's really about the um, the contemporary imagination as it is expressing itself um, and what is driving it in uh, in contemporary Asia. So mm. artists resident in Asia uh, um, and frequently the diaspora communities that um, are very connected to those cultures and connected to those 
um, that the, the artists are also discovering what is the contemporary um, in their own culture, mm. um, as well as obviously the Asian Australian artists who are expressing um, through their own lived experience their relationship to that culture. So it's complex, it's dynamic, it's really diverse. And and while I am the creative director, there are actually dozens and dozens yeah, of yeah, curators yeah. Uh, working on this project because it's a partner-led mm. um, initiative. So the, uh, the organisations... Uh, and the artists drive the programming. Mm. Mm. Um, and the uh, the task for me really is about making sure that the space that we create for it, which is both a temporal space and a set of physical spaces mm. and, of course, resources, are sufficient to do it really well. Mm. I think that kind of leads me nicely into uh, a question of, and I think that was a really fantastic and admirable summary of what this festival is, given the nature of it being so large. Was there kind of a key considerations in kind of like your selection of practitioners when pulling this together? Partly it's in response to, when it comes to the collaborative uh, projects, it's in response to who are the artists that Australian artists want to work with? Um, the question mm. about who those artists are also comes down to a question of capacity to invest in the the long-term development and the creation uh, and presentation of work. Now, there are independent artists who can only do that with very specific forms of support. Usually it's, mm. it's subsidy. Um, the uncertainty of that can be problematic in a festival mm. structure because you actually need to be able to plan and, and have a reasonable sense 12 months out at least mm. uh, what it is that you're doing and which spaces that you're trying to secure. Um, so obviously, they're and also your, your pitching work um, for an international audience as well as a local audience. You want to make sure that the work that is created in partnership actually has a life in the country um, where your collaborators come from. Frequently, the resources and the infrastructure in those places are of a very different order. Uh, and so there are a whole bunch of reasons which then impact on the final uh, choice of, of work. But also... I think it's fair to say um, that alongside the really iconic artists that we know people want to see because they've, they, they've heard of them and they have a reputation and there's an excitement around seeing them live, um, that is kind of one of the spines of the festival. But the majority of the work is actually by artists who are either um, independent or, or on the alternative stage mm. in Australia uh, and likewise in in the region they come from as well. So hence the festival kind of atmosphere and um, focus enabling us to give centre stage and um, and long-term developmental resources to artists that otherwise wouldn't wouldn't be able to um, to reach for them. Mm. Mm, mm. I think that's a really fantastic summary of the ethos behind the selection of artists, but also what the festival seeks to do as well. So thank you, Stephen. That's really great just as a kind of bedrock context. Now, I do want to pivot a little bit here to Dan. Now, um, Dan, my first question is like, when were you involved with the festival? Were you from the get-go kind of part of it? Or were you kind of just an audience and then suddenly kind of thrust into being kind of a vital participant in putting on the festival? 
I was. I was, I was only an audience in the, in the times before, and it's a it's it's a festival that um, having having known Stephen's work for a long time, mm. um, but just the the caliber of artists that, that have been curated into the festival, it's something that I've been a big fan of for a long time as well. So mm. it was great to be involved. Um, I suppose just to give a bit of context to the, the, the pivot as well that happened. So um, uh, Asia Topra is a triennial festival and the, the second uh, festival happened at the start of 2020, uh, just. Um, there were a few cancellations, I think, towards the end, but they, they just snuck in. Um, and usually immediately following the festival, um, there'll be a lab um, where new works are seeded that um, may go on to be in the next festival, may go on to have their own presentations or may go nowhere. Um, but the key is that those works are kind of seeded in this lab process. Um, and usually there's a selection of Australian artists and uh, artists from across the Pan-Asian region um, that are flown into Australia um, in a very kind of intense collaborative environment um, over a few weeks to um, seed these new works. Um, obviously, we went into hard lockdown straight away and, and that couldn't happen. So... Um, the virtual lab <laughs> was born um, out of necessity mm. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, having a history of an artist working with a whole bunch of digital tools, um, I was kind of parachuted in um, with, with the kind of new title of digital dramaturg to, um, to collaborate with um, some of the artist teams that had been put together um, for the digital lab um, and to work with them um, on one level just uh, helping them with um, the kind of collaborative tools that mm. they could use in these new remote environments that they were in, mm. but also to think a little more deeply about what it means to digitize live work or mm. to um, to put live work on the internet. Um, and there are all sorts of different ways that you can do that. So yes. um, it was a deep dive into the, um, the possibilities of remote collaboration, but also the possibilities of outcomes as well on the internet. So given that, yes, we're working internationally here, we're working with um, artists from different kind of environments, different resources. What were the kind of resources that you considered important that everyone must have for it to be yeah, even field? So, so the first and most obvious thing is kind of a, a stable internet connection, yes. um, which um, thanks to some of the funding from, from Asia Topa, we were able to support some of the artists with that as well, those in, in particular need. Obviously, um, not all of them needed help in that department, but some of them did. Um, and so to actually give that kind of structural infrastructure support um, to the artists was a, a first step. Um, but then um, to go beyond that and think a little bit more about um, how you can create environment, an environment uh, in a remote scenario that can have the same exciting outcomes as an in-person mm -hmm. scenario. So it's one thing to have a stable internet con connection and be on a Zoom call together, but being on a Zoom call for five hours, um, mm -hmm. trying to replicate being in a room with someone for five hours just isn't the same thing. Yeah. So th there were more kind of practical skills that we had to kind of work out to go, how do you take breaks within mm -hmm. that? And um, what's a more appropriate cadence to um the the kind of rehearsal room that you're trying to yes i think that's something Stephen, we, we, we kind of discussed before this which is actually the nature of the, how it shifts the timeline for collaboration in a very kind of interesting way it's a really different way of working you go from this environment where you have to work intensely for two weeks um and you might be jet lagged as well and there's a whole lot of like just physically moving yourself from one place to another 
is a full-on thing. Uh, but now you can work in your environment, you know, wherever that is, um, with artists over a longer period of time. And I think, um, Stephen, just, uh, we yeah, just expand that a little bit. The, the labs that – I think we've had five or six labs mm, now. Mm. Um, and the one of the, the important things to recognise about them is that they are not outcome-driven. So while they are a really incredible resource for us in terms of uh, being able to d- dialogue with artists about what they're doing and have, you know, some kind of physical relationship with the development of, a, of an idea uh, over a period of time, um, actually it's the artists who determine what the outcome will be, not according to double-guessing our programming, um, but actually what they need to do. Because if if you actually allow cultural exchange to happen, the the way that the artists work together and what they imagine they can do together will be fundamentally different mm. um, to the idea of artists who more or less know one another, they're familiar with one another's milieu and work mm. uh, and the tools and the structures that they work within. When all of that changes, you really do have to open as many windows as possible. Mm. So not having outcomes as an imperative is really mm. important. Mm. Um, on the other hand, the moment that you take the necessity for outcomes away, artists will create their own mm. um, uh, that they will they will aim for particular outcomes that are important to them. So in 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 the normal run of the mill, like the the lab might go for um, between a week and ten days. Mm. That's actually a really expensive proposition mm. because you're flying people in, you're accommodating them, you're feeding them, you're uh, you're providing um, you know duty of care. So when you suddenly are doing things online and people are basically doing it from their homes or their studios, uh, that that cost disappears. Mm. Um, and it, that enabled us to offer a longer um, contract in the first instance, um, but it also enabled the artist to then reconfigure what time meant. So rather than if you're contracted for two and a half or three weeks, rather than working for two and a half or three weeks, the artists frequently chose to work over four or five months. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, a number of them have said that the, we were looking for what the virtues were working remotely. Um, that was the whole point, actually, mm-hmm. uh, from a, from a curatorial um, sort of standpoint, the, 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 the driving reason was to keep artists working, to keep them paid uh, and to keep them uh, connected with one another because they were incredibly isolated, mm-hmm. particularly artists who are independent practitioners. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was the real driving force behind coming up w- uh, with the virtual lab. Um, but the uh, opportunity to look for the virtue in doing things different differently was also obviously an important and compelling idea for me. And um, most of the artists, I think there was only one one group who actually decided to spend pretty much two weeks um, very regularly um, um, spending time together. And that suited that particular uh, project and, and outcome. But everybody else stretched it over a long period of time. And in fact, one of the things that really surprised me, and it shouldn't have, but it did, was people felt that even though it was screen-based and even though they were um, thousands of miles away from one another, there was an incredible intimacy experienced Mm. through the lab because people were actually in their own homes. They were sharing Mm. uh, 
aspects of their lives and their cultures, which normally we can't because we've actually taken people out of their lives and we've put them into this studio space. Uh, and we've asked them to spend eight hours a day with a lunch break and to keep being creative and keep being kind to one another. And actually, that's a big ask, yeah, you know. If you if you're if you're developing ideas rather than trying to achieve a specific uh, outcome. Yes. Now, actually, leads another question. I really want to have um, Dan. Now, as a digital dramaturg, now I really want to drill into what that is uh, in this context, because um, I think certainly, I mean, it has the word digital in it, so it must be kind of a new word. I, I, I used the term with hesitation as well. It was, it was really invented. I don't. <laughs> That's what I applaud you to do. <laughs> it was invented in the moment, and um, I, I suppose it, it, it does, uh, it does in a way kind of succinctly sum up what, what I was doing because, um, you know, it, uh, across the board, it was dramaturgy, um, using the tools at hand, not in the traditional sense that you would imagine it. And also, I, I sorry, um, Ben, but I think it's just really important to acknowledge that the way that time passes on the screen is fundamentally it's, different. No, it really is fundamentally and, completely and, different. And yeah, there yeah. is a dramaturgy, um, which we are developing and discovering uh, about how to do that well. I was well, going to I was going to mention that because it's it's an interesting inversion I think that that happened because when you think about digital tools and you think about the internet that kind of evokes this idea of things happening really fast and really quick mm-hmm. and you know that that's the way that things happen but actually the opposite happened that kind of by necessity things had to be longer because you couldn't you couldn't tolerate being in a room for five hours you know you had to space things out and this strange intimacy came out of the you know the, the time. The, the time stretch, but also the, the availability to people's um, home lives that the artists were making with each other. So this is the thing I think I really kind of want to kind of like drill down on a little bit because it's, 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 really, it's fundamentally a shaping of that time and also kind of a, an assisting in kind of like choosing or, or, or what aspects of their kind of like life or practice will kind of intersect with the kind of digital world. Um, I think it's a really great point that the time does work differently. In, in one sense, I think... Um, with the with with the screen, attention span is shorter um, than in person. I think the idea of sitting with a piece of something is fundamentally different than if you're in the space. As Stephen was saying before, all all of the projects are incredibly diverse, yes. and their processes are diverse. Um, their any potential outcomes that they may have are incredibly diverse. So we really needed to go out to to that um, in terms of facilitating a diverse process um, for the artists to work together. So. Um, each group kind of had their own had their own needs, and what we did over time was to um, build kind of a live document online um, that could uh, share all of the different collaboratives, um, collaborative and outcome tools that we were talking about. So there was this deck that um, everyone had access to that kind of grew over the festival, um, sorry, over the lab, which um, has now been shared with other other artists in different contexts who have been working remotely. So it it was this great kind of Frankensteinian document that that grew as we all kind of worked together to um, to explore these different ways of working and to kind of write up the pros and cons as well because we were making it up. (laughs) It it was, and it was also really interesting, I think, Ben, that artists that um, obviously many of the artists we were working with did not speak English as a first language. Mm. Um, And the advantage to uh, that cohort through having the extended timeframe and through having time between engagements to consider um, not only the material that they were um, uh, exposed to or immersed in that was driven through language and through the English language, um, but also how to have their own 
thoughts and ideas and, and um, uh, moments, mm. how to have those shared um, without needing language or without, without being language uh, driven. Mm. Um, but also from time to time, having, having the opportunity to write down uh, exactly what they wanted to express so that it was really clear to everybody else. Um, it, it, it was a very, I mean, I, I hate the idea of um, uh, defining or purporting a kind of a democratised process because this, this is what it was, like mm -hmm. the set of circumstances and we did our very best to make it possible for as many people from as many different um, environments and cultures to participate. Um, but we could never claim that we truly democratized it. Mm -hmm. um, but there was, there were a whole bunch of things about this experience that actually taught us um, what the um, the very uh, um, what the what the limitations and inhibitions are in the standard process, mm -hmm. and therefore how to think differently about those. Something that's kind of like about this fact of writing something down um, is something I've been thinking about looking through the work of Asiatopa on, on, up on, that's still up on the website and available, which is uh, how well archived so much of the work is. Uh, and I think it kind of ties into that thing, well, you're writing everything down in this document together, a collaborative document, which is much more difficult if you're doing it in person through conversation that isn't by necessity somehow archived because of course cloud-based work even video calls to some extent can be kind of you know very easily recorded uh, and notes are much more easily taken and especially if you're working together with you know 300 people on a single document you know that's something that fundamentally isn't <laughs> available in analog um and also just the kind of like the fact that it's then you know easily translatable in a certain sense even if it's just through google translate which is rough but hey better than nothing um and I think one thing I've certainly been impressed by is the 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 archiving of the work, the quality of that. I mean, I was watching um, Metal, um, and that just the cinematography of that was beautiful. Yeah. Can can I can I uh, offer a perspective on that? It's I think it partly uh, was intentional because we know how important it is for artists who have dedicated uh, a year or more of their, you know, creative life uh, creating these, these works, but also how important it is that these works have an international life, not just in the second, third country um, uh, of the artists making it, but also globally, like on the international stage. Like these are, generally speaking, they're festival pieces. So they re need really good documentation. And we know that when we are um, budgeting for um, the creation of work, and very few works are paid for lock, stock and barrel. I have to be really, really honest about it. Like we do our very best to, con we, we're contributing as much as we can mm -hmm. and we certainly commission, but artists still have to raise resources. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody has to actually come with stuff on the table. Um, the, the reality is that we now encourage and support videography uh, and uh, documentation through the process of making. So it's no longer seen to be a luxury or seen to be an indulgence or, you know, there were always artists that were brilliant at documenting their work. They, you know, they would, they would pay for it through the, through the, the, the production costs. It's good on them. I mean, and they're the artists who we can actually, whose work we can explore 30 years later because it's yeah. been well documented. We wanted to make sure that everything was well documented. So we did our best to, to incorporate um, uh, that as part of the creative process. And in fact, what we now know um, in doing that is that when the 
the buildings shut, uh, an art centre Melbourne did a really important thing and said, well, we're, go- we're going to now focus on, on an online um, you know, to keep to keep artists engaged and to keep the the organisation engaged with artists, um, we were able to step up and, up and say, well, this new work festival has this amazing material. So we were able to commission a series of documentaries because the artists had been actually documenting every step of their process. So that was a really important um, uh, step to to take. Mm. But also, one of the outcomes of the digital the virtual lab has been the realisation that it is possible to be thinking in a parallel creative process, one for the live outcome, which one day when people can be in the same room together uh, will happen, but also what are are the opportunities now for something other than merely documentation, but something which which is a genuinely creative uh, project in its own right, which has a digital outcome. Which led to a lot of really interesting conversations around the very the very nature of most of these works being ephemeral or the mm, you know, the, yeah. the desire for the outcome to be ephemeral in some way. What does that mean um, in a in a virtual outcome or in an online yeah. outcome if something's live streamed on YouTube, why does it matter that it's live? Yeah. Um, why can it just live there as documentation? So, um, and a lot of the artists kind of pick this up in really kind of clever ways mm-hmm. as well to almost as kind of proof that they were live. But that was one of the, the key kind of questions of the lab to keep kind of poking at as well. Yes. Yeah, so this is a really kind of fundamental kind of like thought I have. Just to, we can all agree the last year, given everyone was forced to, it's been the real, you know, fast forward button on, on this kind of work and these questions, which we, I think we've been kind of like, you know, tucking at the edges of for a few years now, which is like, you know, the resources are there for this kind of incredibly vivid and rich, like digital performance world, you know. But up until last year, the real delineation, there was, a, there was kind of like online live entertainers, which was live streamers basically, you know, very connected to kind of, you know, mostly, you know, the the video gaming world and all that kind of stuff. And then... um you know, or just podcast kind of type-based stuff, you know, much more conversational. It wasn't so structured in the way of a piece of theatre or kind of performance would be. But then last year we we saw, not that it didn't exist, of course it existed, but like, you know, I think last year we kind of reached this point and I think the labs is a really wonderful outcome. And are we able to mention that it's gotten funding to go forward yet? What, what, what we can mention yes. <laughs> is yes, that yes. The, um, the National Museum of Australia uh, has... Um, uh, very generously commissioned us to work with some of the artists that we work with in the first lab to create um, a second uh, outcome, which will be digital um, in, and, and ex- exhibited or shown or shared in one one form or another, which is a really brilliant thing. Yeah, and we've also, uh, by the time this goes to air, it ought to be public that um, uh, uh, DOCA, the, the Department of Communication and the Arts, has also supported a second lab um, whereby uh, four of the projects that were in the first lab will have a second uh, really intensive uh, period of time together again virtually um and that will be you know fully resourced uh, and then there will be three new projects that we'll be introducing uh to the repertoire as well through through that funding and it, it's really very exciting mm. um it's exciting partly it's always exciting when you can support us to do what they do <laughs> so given um this last year has happened um what do you think's kind of like 
going to happen next with this idea of digital collaboration. Obviously, the labs is a really fantastic model for the um, development of work. Um, so that's definitely one thing, but also the um, the way outcomes are going to be presented. Not to put a cap on things too early, but I think we're, we're kind of seeing two streams of work kind of emerging from, from what's happened. And one uh, is um, is kind of, of of the internet or of the the tropes um, and the platforms and the, the available tools of the internet, mm. and the other one is um, really high end uh, live stream documentation, really that can um, c- create um, hopefully an ephemeral feeling, but a fairly cinematic outcome. Yeah, the, the first one really that's like I was saying before is kind of of the internet um, is Pony Express, who um, uh, a couple of Australian artists who um, have posed um, um, have come at the idea of, of this term the Anthropocene um, mm. with um, with outrage <laughs> that um, that is really really fascinating and really interesting. What, what they're positing basically is that the Anthropocene um, um, supposes that. Um, that we're living, moving into an era now where, where humans have impacted the environment or the, you know, the geological record. Mm. Um, and they're really coming at it saying, well, how dare you? Um, it's, it's really a small handful of um, white male humans who have, who have, who have impacted the world um, to, to make that happen. So they're, they're really throwing open the idea of what the Anthropocene is or what, what, it, what it could be or what the name of it could be. Mm. And the way they're doing that um, has been through a series of kind of um, faux kind of conferences. Um, and IRL, that's using all the trappings of conferences like um, pull-up banners and lanyards and um, panel discussions and all those sorts of things. Um, and so that kind of format obviously really lends itself to the, the kind of tools that can be found on the internet for kind of these virtual conferences that happen, things from, um, you know, virtual whiteboards to um, uh, Microsoft Teams and, um, you know, or breakout rooms and all of the things that are kind of happening from that. So um, they're really kind of... Um, in a, in a really fun, ironic way, using those tools to kind of push them into a more artful or creative medium, um, which is a fascinating space. And um, there's lots of stuff um, that's happening in that realm. On the other hand, um, there is more of the kind of high-end live stream um, that's happening. That There's actually um, there's bespoke tools that are being created to realise this stuff as well. Um, and one of the examples from the lab was Lu Yang's work, Delusional World, that um, has been developed in collaboration with Matt Spisbar from um, from Australia. Um, and um, that was a very high-end um, mocap dance performance um, yeah. that happened and was presented um, in collaboration with Acme at the end of last year um, and um, was this kind of really exciting kind of live stream um, um, experience that um, it, it, although it's still live on the internet <laughs> now as mm. a kind of document, um, felt incredibly live when it happened, and mm-hmm. interestingly, now when you watch when you watch it back, um, you can see the, the performance as it happened, but also see all of the live comments on, oh. on YouTube Live. It, it was a really good case in point, actually, because that project was originally going to be presented live in Federation Square on the big screen mm. with Lu Yang. Uh, and her uh, dancers actually doing the movement, and then you would see the avatars replicating those movements. It's a very mimetic work. Um, uh, and there's something kind of thrilling about that, of course, and, and it would have been amazing. Uh, but we had to cancel that uh, because she was unable to travel. She was, she's from um, Shanghai. Uh, and so reconceiving the work as live digital 
obviously the form itself lends itself to it because her immersive worlds are digital worlds. Um, and what she did very cleverly was she uh, and Matt, they conceived of it being, they filmed the creation of the work in the studio. So you could see the dancer as well as the immersive response as well as, as Dan pointed out, the thrillingness of an audience engaging in real time, in the moment, dropping their gifts in, making comments, asking and speculating about the technology that was being used and being really engaging. And those audiences were from eight different countries. Wow. So wow. We, we discovered by virtue of, um, uh, you know, necessity, uh, what we hadn't thought of doing um, because we were so uh, uh, clued into the liveness and mm. presuming that that meant presentness. Mm. Um, and now we understand uh, that liveness is something else in, entirely. So yeah. the, the, the next leg of that work, which we're in the process of commissioning, will actually have uh, dancers in th at least three, if not five, Boy. different cities around the world um, and she will be, uh, and, and through motion capture technology, the avatars in the piece will relate to one another. I, I mean, that the finesse with which she does this is off, off the charts, mm. really. No, yeah. um, and she has made the decision she doesn't really want to travel. So it were, you know, she now has this fantastic, uh, I won't say it's an excuse, but she has this kind of, you know, this new way in the world of saying, well, if I don't need to travel, I won't. Well, um, what's the necessity? You're already so, with people in eight countries. You know, I mean, it, it does nice. mean the pressure on Matt and the exhibitionist, his, mm, his production mm. outfit, are intense. <laughs> um, there are things that you can resolve much more quickly uh, in real life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there are also things that you can't do in real life. You can't meet for 20 minutes uh, on Tuesday you know, you, you would have to put the meeting off until next Thursday and then have half a day. But actually you can have repeated connection. Mm. Um, and also because the medium is digital, it means they're constantly testing it um, mm. um, every time they're, they're meeting up yeah. because the medium itself right. is the very thing that they're testing. So they're, yeah. I, I'm really excited by it. And I love the idea of um, having a, a body of work um, you know, that Art Centre Melbourne is going to have commissioned a body of work, which is live mm. digital um, rather than live digitised. Um, yes. And that's credible and important and great, uh, but this is way exciting uh, mm. for me. Um, and the capacity for artists who can't travel, not just because of COVID, but actually for a whole bunch of other reasons, mm -hmm. leaving territories, having passports, uh, having, you know, and obviously the, the economic capacity to do that. Mm. No, I think that's a, a great point, actually just opening up those possibilities for people. Now, pivoting a little, uh, Dan, um, what would you say is important to consider when making a work for a festival like this? Like, I, I think some of the more successful works are not so much a, um, a, a live artist working with a digital person or a developer. Or the, the more interesting stuff, the vastly more interesting stuff happens when there's a genuine understanding between the two and it's not um, the digital person coming in and realising the live no, artist's vision. I, I mean, it was interesting because, you know, Chung Wong's uh, piece, um, 
which was it's Teatro de Rev, which is a, a company based in um, in Beijing, mm, mm. Uh, working. And Dan, you worked on this project. So perhaps you'd like to talk about it. Yeah, that was a really fascinating um, work uh, working with Wang Chong um, on a live performance of a Chinese poem called "Facing the Sea," um, that is is well known in China. Um, that um, Chong was really interested in uh, doing a live performance of the poem um, in Animal Crossing, um, which was um, a really fascinating, very technical process that we went mm. through over several weeks working together. And the best thing about it was just really understanding the mechanics of this beast that we'd taken on to go, how do we actually make this work? And mm. Um, you know, it was it was choreography really in the end that, yeah. that um, is um, hard work, um, and we, we got there in the end. But um, you know, on on one hand, it's kind of deconstructing this kind of set form, which is Animal Crossing, and going mm. where are the live opportunities within that structure, mm. um, uh, and then okay, how do we how, using our experience as theatre makers, how do we how do we make that a really kind of theatrically satisfying mm. event to come and to come and watch? <laughs> I would say that's an important consideration, absolutely. We're approaching the kind of close of this conversation and I just want to throw to Stephen for a perspective on performance after this last year or so. I think that the experience of 2020 um, really needs to be celebrated and, 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 uh, and, and used as a, as a platform for diving into the the future and not kind of written off as second best or as some terrible trauma. I mean, even though it was for a lot of people as well, um, we actually did come through it uh, and there are experiences that we've learned and we mustn't go back. Uh, we really mustn't go back. Well, I think that's a beautiful spot to leave it. Thank you both so much for coming in. This has been really interesting at least for me, I hope for some other people as well. I've been Ben Keen. I've been with Stephen Armstrong and David Kerner. This has been Witness Performance Interviews. Thank you. <laughs>